Hey everyone, um, this is your captain speaking. Uh, we've been flying through Revelation, and um, we hit a little turbulence last week if you joined us. And there was going to be some more turbulence today. Um, we're going through the trumpets, and there's judgments, and there's things like that. But there should be smooth sailing by uh, chapters 20 to 22, just to give you some solace there. Um, I'm actually going to keep my jacket on. Oh, that's nice. Um, so the, the purpose of our study is we're reading this last book in the Bible, Revelation. You can find it there. Um, and um, if you're wondering today why I'm not going to uh, explain to a fine grain every little image that we run into today, it's because uh, we're taking a larger picture of what Revelation is is. So uh, not to disappoint you, but also to encourage you that we can look at what's happening in this book. Um, This book was written for all believers in all situations, in all places, uh, to kind of uh, lift the shiny veneer off this world and just help us see what's really going on. And I hope that's what you're blessed by today. The message of Revelation tells us that Jesus is Lord over history. He wins at the end of the day. Satan is this enemy that wants to destroy and kill. He wants to just tear apart this world. He's like, if I can't have it, no one can. Um, And uh, the thing is that believers are protected from this happening, and they're sealed for God's courts to be with him, to be in this new creation that he's preparing for us. It's like there's this big chess game, and God is this chess master, and no one can outsmart him. Anything that Satan or anyone in this world is trying to do actually just turns out to be for his own glory, for his victory. And he's like, saw that coming, checkmate. Um, So uh, I want to focus on um, what I want to focus on in uh, chapters 8 to 11. Yeah, we had um, our our reading... um, from Michelle, thank you. But I didn't want you to read all 8, uh, 9, 10, and 11. We're going through 8, 9, 10, and 11 today, folks. Um, and what I want us to focus on is that the Exodus is a sweet, bitter life. And you can write that down. Um, chapters 8 and 9, we'll find that the trumpets, these, these are judgments that are like this final Exodus that's going on. And then uh, chapter 10, we'll look at uh, what is the sweet, bitter message that John receives for the church. And chapter 11, we'll look at the witnessing life of the church. So again, eight and nine are the exodus. Uh, 10 is the sweet, bitter message uh, to the church. And chapter 11 is the witnessing life of the church. So a lot of people avoid reading Revelation, and I really get it. Um, I grew up in church, and um, it was sort of this thing that if someone said, what do you think of Revelation? There was like, they were sharpening this battle axe, and you had to like choose your words very carefully, because if you didn't choose their viewpoint, like, there will be blood, kind of thing. So I was like, oh, I'm just not really interested in it. And then the other side is that it's really strange. Um, there's all this weird imagery in it. There's strange creatures. There's blood. Um, there's judgment. Um, and you just hope your friends don't like ask you about it. You're like, oh, just, yeah, well, let's go to John. Let's go to John 3.16. Um, yeah, it's a little easier to talk about. Um, and maybe because it's complex. Maybe because there's just a lot going on. But I want to encourage you that it is worth reading. So uh, to give us an overview, chapters 1, the first chapter was John receiving this revelation that Jesus is now sitting victoriously on the throne. Uh, Chapters 1 to 3 then go into pastoral rebukes of the seven churches. They're the seven lampstands. And uh, Jesus is encouraging them to hold fast, to remain faithful. It's basically this message that's just good for all churches and all places that This is what you need to do. This is what you need to hold on to uh, in times of persecution and temptation. So basically, in the face of trials in life, live a faithful testimony. Don't let this world steal your love away um, for Jesus and replace it with any other love. 
And if you're wondering why the church is still here on earth, well, it's to share this message, to be witnesses to it in a very almost upside-down way, counterintuitive way, maybe in kind of a normal way, too. Chapters 4 and 5 give us perspective. That's the uh, throne room we saw. And the throne room of heaven has this slain lamb that's like a lion. That's Jesus Christ, who with all power and authority, through his obedient walk to the cross, took on sin and death and made it possible for him to buy us back from this world um, to make his people. Jesus, rising to victory, has set the end in motion. It's like he sits on his throne and boom, he starts delivering the rest of history. But the perspective of this really matters. It's from the throne room, through the eyes of John, that Jesus lets people see how the end is going to unfold. And um, this is opposed to anywhere else. Like, we're not on the ground level going like, ah, it's, we get to see it from God's point of view. And I think that's something that we need to hold on to. Because we, we're going to keep circling back to the throne, throne room throughout Revelation. Then chapters 6 and 7 were those who have bent their knee to Christ. Uh, they are his and are privileged to know the end. They see it through his perspective. Because they belong to him, they have this seal on them. It's like a letter that you'd get in Roman times. They put a wax seal on something. If it had a captain's seal, only a captain could open it. General, a general could open it. But here, only Jesus Christ, Lord of Lords, can open those kind of seals. And he's placed that on all believers. He said, I've counted you, I know who you are, and you are sealed. No power, nothing can take that seal off of you. And that brings us to our cruising altitude today for uh, chapters 8 through 11. 8 and 9 again describe these trumpets that lead up to the end just as the seals did. I am mentioning a little bit from last time. Go back and listen to uh, Dwight's sermon if you haven't already. Um, and um, we circle back to the throne room of God again. But uh, now, now we're at this, this newer place, I guess. Um, one thing that might hold us up, uh, that maybe be tugging in the back, that I just want to address while we talk about this, is what is the end? <laughs> maybe you're wondering that. Um, it's colossal. It's like bigger than the third Lord of the Rings when it takes 90 minutes to end the movie. Uh, there's the zooming in, zooming out, zoom in. There's Frodo and Sam walking along. Zoom out, there's this huge battle. Um, or, or there's these elves saying, I see the end. And you're like, I don't get it. What are you talking about? Water, fire. You're like, I don't understand. It's all of that put together through different perspectives again and again and again. And so we're sort of layering them together to get this whole viewpoint. But I get it. It can be confusing at times. I hope I will make it clearer to you today. So 8, 9, the trumpets. Then uh, 10 will zoom us back out to this uh, very strong angel. And then 11 will speak of the two witnesses and pretty much just church history of these two witnesses witnessing to the world. So why are there trumpets or what do the trumpets mean? Last time we looked at the seals and I explained that. Well, now we have trumpets. Um, trumpets were a call to worship. They were also a call to battle in uh, Old Testament times. So that's where they would understand this from. Um, a battle trumpet, we can think of the story of Jericho. Does anyone know that story? Uh, there should be some of you. Uh, so basically, um, God asks his people to fight against this fortress. And fortresses are uh, advantageous to this little scrappy group of people. And he says, here's my battle plan. Walk around their town for seven days and blow a trumpet. And they're like, okay, we have faith. <laughs> Um, so they do one day, two days, three days, and they, they blow this trumpet, and nothing happens. And then they get to the sixth trumpet, and nothing happens. And then on the last day, they blow, uh, they, they do the same walk, and I'm sure Jericho's like, what are these people? Like, this is pretty silly. Um, I feel bad for him. 
But then they blow the trumpet on the seventh time, and the walls come tumbling down, right? It's the story of just total annihilation, just everything falls down, they, they rush in and win the battle. So with these trumpets, too, what I'm going to explain to you is things are happening, but also it seems like things are not happening. And it, you can think of Jericho in that story, that they are circling around this, this, uh, this city, and things are happening. But things seem like they're not happening. Now, what about all these symbols? Again, it's, it can be hard to understand. Um, I'm going to mention locusts today, demon locusts, uh, really. Uh, but um, we don't look into our present-day uh, circumstances and where technology is today to really figure out how to interpret Revelation some have tried to take Revelation too literally and have decided they're Apache helicopters, uh, which is just not the way to interpret literature. It's, um, this is uh, sort of the ethos behind the Left Behind series, and you can like that if you want as entertainment, but um, I, I feel like it, uh, the Left Behind series brings more fear and confusion than it does uh, clarity, repentance, and faith, where tagline... Revelation is to call us to faith and repentance, not fear and confusion. So it's sort of like if you hear the phrase, like, he flies by the seat of his pants. You don't, like, think, okay, so we're all going to be flying Elon Musk's jetpack sponsored by Levi Jeans to understand this phrase. You go, no, that's ridiculous. You know the context. You know where that phrase came from. It makes sense to you. Well, to first century uh, listeners... A lot of this context made sense because they were speaking into that place and time. So we just have to do a little work to uh, uh, understand what's going on. And I hope that these symbols are uh, sobering, but also encouraging. So John is using uh, language that's first century, uh, that uh, he's uh, both foretelling of this end, but he's also forthtelling. And there's uh, a lot more of scripture is forthtelling than it is Foretelling. Foretelling is things that have not yet come to pass. Forthtelling is speaking God's truth into our circumstances on how to be faithful and how to live rightly. But he is also foretelling of how the end uh, comes about. Now, with symbols, I really want these symbols to keep their power. So bear with me for a moment, but... Um, let me say it this way. Uh, Billie Holiday, born in 1915, was this famous jazz singer. And you play her for the background um, just to set the mood. It's like a nice date night or uh, it's good Christmas music. But really, she was known for this other song for the first 20 years of her life called Strange Fruit. So for the longest time, Holiday would sing this song only in person at performances. It was not allowed to be recorded. And we're talking the 1930s and the 40s. And Holiday would close the performance with it. Waiters would end their service. And the room would go dark except this solitary um, spotlight on her face. And with eyes closed and head tilted, she would sing with a world-weary tone. Southern trees bear a strange fruit, blood on the leaves and blood at the root, black bodies swinging in the southern breeze, strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. You would need the context to understand what she's saying as she's singing to rich people in New York for what's happening in the South. At the turn of the 20th century, uh, lynchings or non-government executions had reached their peak in the southern United States, and the great majority of the victims were black. Strange fruit was symbolic, but spoke of something real and easily understood in that context. Symbols tied to reality, my friends, are not trite. It hit close to home for blacks and was disturbingly autobiographical for others. And what the effect was after hearing this song, you couldn't leave that concert the same way. Either your heart was moved to sorrow and compassion, or you were left indignant, offended. Well, that really ruined my evening. My point is this, that these symbols are not just ideas. 
there's reality to them, and that should wake us up. So uh, now remember, we're not reading Revelation chronologically, but in the sequence of how John sees it, uh, in the sequence of visions. The trumpets are in response to the prayers during the silence. That's how we ended our last sermon. Um, God says, silent, I want to hear the prayers of my people. And these trumpets are in response to that. Um, And these judgments are not so coincidentally bringing plagues, much like the exodus of the Israelites out of Egypt. Moses, parting the Red Sea. And just like the first four seals from chapter 6, there were these four horsemen. And if you remember, they they all come together. And there's this rush of uh, the trumpets as well. There's one, two, three, four. Now, there are the four horsemen that we heard about last week bring conquest, war, injustice, and death. And the warning was that we can really be lured into partnering with conquest, uh, war, injustice, and death. And we see that all around us as well. And this will continue in a character and nature of this Exodus theme. And what we need to know about the first four trumpets, I'm kind of bundling them together. Um, we have eight chapters, or uh, four chapters to talk about today. Um, I'm going to bundle these up. And what you need to know is that they bring famine, uh, both spiritual famine and uh, real famine. And uh, there's this fire that consumes a third of the grass, trees, uh, and a third of the earth. And there's uh, this judgment that's now worldwide. And you can imagine fire licking up the grass, trees being stripped by hail. Fire and hail are common, powerful judgments. But there is still limited destruction. God would limit this destruction so that people would still have a chance to repent, come to know God. Um, We see from the seals, it was a quarter, now it's a third, so it's increasing. Uh, and the blood that we see in these um, in chapter eight is reminiscent of the Exodus plagues, um, and what we the idea is that it's like God saying, "Look, you take the blood of my people. You want blood? Here's blood, and it's this bloody hail. Or um, you want this idol worship? Do you even know what that actually looks like? If I peel uh, the the thin veneer off your eyes." Blood, here it is. You want idol sacrifices? This is what it looks like. This is actually what's going on. It's not pretty. There's a flaming mountain. It's thrown in the water. Its mountains are generally seen as countries or nations. Um, Then the fourth trumpet, we see that the earth is being systematically undone. The moon, the stars, uh, the the sun is... uh, partially being undone. Uh, The night we see is not just uh, merely night, it's also spiritual night, that people have come to just be blinded, that they they don't want God anymore, they don't want to hear it. Um, But there's also this other part that um, God is systematically undoing what Genesis began with. In the beginning, God created uh, the day and the night, he created the water and this, the, the land, the animals, etc. He's kind of going backwards to this place of undoing. And why is he undoing this earth? Well, it's to make way for the new creation. The world's really been polluted. And I don't think there's a generation that's come before us that understands pollution better than this generation, right? We, we get it. Like, it's poison. It's destroying Well, there's also this idolatrous uh, pollution. You're like, how can a person pollute the earth like that? Well, maybe you're thinking too lowly of what a human is. A human has God's image on them. And what they use their image for is important. And we're finally coming to a place where we see how important that is and what we've done. So the hardening of hearts is the application point for a lot of these judgments, that no matter how awesome God shows himself to be, how powerful he is, whatever calamity comes, people hold on to their ways. And this is a good reminder for us 
as well. When we go through calamity, such as like a flood or a fire, I've seen people go through it two different ways. They either go bitter or they become soft and they start to see God's grace in their life. The bitterness, the, the resentment comes from, I owned that, that was mine. I deserved that. And then there's that further step of going, I need to get a new house and do this all over again. Whereas this person says, my house was destroyed in a flood. That's the day I realized things were temporary. The way I was living was for temporary things. That's not the way God wants me to live. I understood a new reality. So that's the kind of things that are happening. It may sound scary or unfair that these judgments are happening, yet the judgments are always to call people back to himself. Um, he brings good things as well. We're just talking about the, the, the final end. When there's no more arguments that we can bring, um, there is a time and a place to hash these things out. Is God real? Is Jesus who he says he is? Those are good conversations to have. But revelation, if we understand who it's written for, why it's written, it's really reduced all the arguments to you are living the way you want to live. You've seen enough, you've done enough to have finally decided where you want to be. And so God's demonstrating himself and even putting his church in his place to walk the way Jesus walked. And yet people will ignore it all and become harder hardened, have hardened hearts. And that's all to their judgment. And maybe this is the first time you've heard about judgment in, um, in a church setting before. We, we often try to talk about, oh, God meets me where I'm at. And that is still true today. And there is still time for all of that. Uh, and maybe today is the day that you go, oh, he is meeting me where I'm at. And I need to wake up to the reality of this world. But... Um, you know who's got this, who understood this the most, or not the most, but um, that really woke, uh, woke me up to Revelation and how to read the Bible is, um, why does this exodus matter? I didn't quite get it. So I did some reading, and I found that African slaves, African Americans, Christianity spread like wildfire through their communities. Yet their oppressors were, like, quote-unquote, Christian. Well, in Revelation, God really shakes out the fake ones and the real ones, and people will use his name in all sorts of horrible ways, but there's judgment for them. When we heard of strange fruit, it wasn't weird for us to hear about blood there, and yet we go, ah, oh, Revelation talks about blood. Ew, weird. Well, maybe that's because we need justice one day. We need someone to set things right. And the Christian faith really talks about this gritty stuff, which I like. Now, these slave communities understood Christianity because they understood redemption. Redemption is this word. It's an old word that means to be bought back from slavery. A lot of us don't necessarily live the way they live. You wouldn't really be here today if you were. Um, they understood that Jesus went to the cross and used his blood to buy us back out of slavery. And they lived in a way where they're like, I get revelation. I'm on this exodus. If you're like, exodus, that's a Bible word. I'm not used to it. Well, just think of Bob Marley. You know, exodus, movement of the people. It's this pulling people out of their circumstances, pulling them out into a totally new reality. And they knew that the slave master might own my body, they might own the land that I work on, but they don't own my soul. Jesus Christ does. He sealed it for his courts above. And nothing in this world can tear me away from him. They could live in a way that was powerful. But I have to admit, when I read Revelation, I look over that. I'm often blind to this message. Why? Why Exodus? Why do I need to leave this place? It's pretty great. I like Babylon. It gives me nice things. I like nice things. I'm doing all right, and I'm living the way I want to. But the world tells us, 
this message of get what's yours. The powerful win. The rich are happy. Enjoy it all. The sexy are successful. What about you? If I was to tell you that God wanted to pull you out of this world, how would you react? As we keep reading, I hope that the blessing you receive is that maybe we wake up to this and say, wow, I really do like this world. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that this world is all bad. It's, it's fallen, though. Um, I love the mountains. I love the trees. Those things point to my creator. When I look at the cross and I look at what he's done, it makes sense to me. It makes sense when we read the Sermon on the Mount, which says, Blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. Blessed are the peacemakers, the merciful will be shown mercy. Blessed are the poor. That's a totally different message than what the world is telling us and trying to lure us into. So the good news comes alive when we realize this redemption. Revelation tells us to be God's people we are in an exodus from this world. We cannot live the same way anymore. We can't strive for the same things anymore. And I want to encourage you to read the Sermon on the Mount to just soak in that reality, how it looks. Moving forward, we're now at the end of chapter 8. There's this interruption by an eagle uh, uh, that John sees, which points to more serious trials. And... uh, the creature laments, whoa, 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 and um, it's signaling coming judgment. Now, again, that God is being forthright here. Um, God always has been. He's, he's not a slippery God. He's not like, ha, oh, gotcha. You know, Santa's coming to town. You, you were bad. It's, it's, he's very forthright with each step that he's doing, and he's made it pretty clear. Now, uh, the fifth trumpet comes, And uh, the angel sounds his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the earth, uh, fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. Uh, Verse 3, 9, chapter 3, not chapter 9, verse 3. And out of the smoke, locusts came down on the earth and were given power, like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of, of God on their foreheads. So this is only people without seals, only non-believers. Satan is that fallen star that um, has power to open up and set loose these demons. Um, the torment is on people, and it's spiritual and psychological. There's this weeping and mourning. And like Exodus, there's this locust plague. Locusts are fierce when they form in groups, and they just devour everything. Uh, But in this case, they're not allowed to uh, eat any of the grass. They're just allowed to dominate and uh, torment people. Um, They they just cover everything. You'll just find them everywhere. Uh, We don't, uh, obviously, we don't live with these sort of uh, locust plagues around us. But again, the, the, the torment is limited just as the locust horde was limited to five months. And that just means it was for a limited time. Verses five into six say, and the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of scorpions when they strike. During those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. So what does it mean that they will long for death, but not get it, not not find it? Well, it's the outcome of seeking Ultimate meaning from your idols, your idol worship. And that will leave you utterly empty. The job, the money, the relationship, the popularity, the fulfillment sexually, the quote-unquote good life, your kids, your retirement, your travel. Um, These are all good things, but, but when we make them the ultimate reason why our heart is, um, has its meaning and purpose... And fulfillment, it will leave you utterly empty. And the demons are permitted to torment you in that place. And these people have no power to say, go away, leave me alone. 
Then the sixth trumpet releases the four winds from our sermon last week. Um, we were seeing, we're seeing it from a different perspective than chapter 7, verse 1. And uh, here are the same forces that were held back for this very moment. This is a spiritual warfare going on. And what about the descriptions? There are these fierce warriors. Uh, there's fierce, fierce fighters like the uh, Parth- Parthian. Wow, long t- tongue twister today. The Parthian um, forces. They were known, uh, they were in the north, they were these fierce um, horsemen, and they resemble the same colors, um, but all we need to know is they're like, ooh, fierce, I don't want to be around them. Uh, They are able to kill, which is different than um, the the locusts, and we must account that this is a spiritual killing, not someone that... um, not like there's this actual horse that comes in, you know, ah, gets Brian in the front row there. No, it's, it's not like that. It's a spiritual killing. And what does that mean when someone's spiritually killed and spiritually dead? Uh, it's, it means there's nothing left. It means there is nothing left, good or bad, that God can do for you. That is very sad. Um, Whether it be God gives you a baby, you go, yeah, of course I deserve a baby. Whether it's the car or whatever, it's like, yeah, thanks, mine. Um, Or on the other hand, it's when bad things happen, you go, well, screw you, I knew you were bad. Or when when a Christian comes and meets with you and says, hey, how are you doing? You're just so absorbed in yourself, there's nobody but yourself. And this time, there's just no grace for you. There's just nothing to pull you out. Because, honestly, we, we are powerless to these things. We can't do it on our own. We think there's this neutral ground where it's like, uh, I can pick God or I can pick Satan. Well, Satan sounds pretty bad. God, eh, I'm going to choose Peter. Yeah, outthought that game. It's, no, it's not like that. It's, we're not the king of the universe. We're not able to uh, resist anything. I, I don't have the stoic power to just resist all temptations when I, you know, gird my loins and go, I can do it on my own. No, we're powerless. And these judgments are just a handing over. Here you go. This is what you wanted. Here you go. I gave you patience. I waited. But this is the end. This is what you want. You You don't want me. Again, this judgment is only for uh, non-believers. And this is a terrible judgment that leads to death. Now, what would repentance look like? It would be, "Ah, I realize I need God. I'm weeping every night, and I'm in torment. I find this world empty at times, and it keeps failing me over and over again. I need to live a new way. Jesus, would you come into my life? I recognize I can't do this on my own. That's the difference between hardening your heart and softening your heart towards Jesus Christ. Now what we, the the result of these plates are largely what we see in verse 20. Uh, The rest of mankind were not killed by these plagues, but still did not repent of their work of their hands. And it's just, again, emphasizing that um, both good and the bad, whatever uh, history has unfolded, people are still unwilling to give credit to who deserves credit, to give their life over to who uh, can give them life. But from these trumpets five and six, I want to draw our attention to the power uh, that, that their power was in their mouths. Um, that they were like snakes, and the locusts had these stinging tails. These are all symbolic of delusions, convincing arguments. They're all able to cause this sort of thing. The demons are able to trick and delude people. Where the Bible talks about venom, scorpions, vipers, and such, um, they cause lies, warped visions, delusions, and these people, people will believe them. And I think there's this obvious application point for us as well as a message uh, to warn others. 
of is that we need to be on guard from all sorts of strange ideas. Um, having an open mind seems harmless, but having an open mouth is very different. If I was to tell you to eat that or uh, find something in that closet there, oh, try eating that. You go, if I ingest that, it will cause things to my body that I can't undo unless I throw up or something else. Uh, that's what it means, really. It's an open mind seems harmless, but an open mouth is actually what we really have. So all sorts of media, all sorts of substances that can lure and convince us of wrong thinking. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says this, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. We do this by staying connected to the word. We sing songs together. We gather together um, where the Holy Spirit dwells among us. We feed on what matters. We're his sheep and live in his pasture. And those who have Jesus will overcome. So we've gone through chapters 8 and 9. They were dark. They were scary. They were demonic. But what happens in Revelation is they're always interrupted. Yes, so we're getting closer to the end. It's getting more serious. We're uh, upping the scale here. But um, we keep coming back to the power of God. We arrive at chapters 10 and 11, and we're reminded of God's throne, his sovereignty, that no one can outplay him, no one can overcome him, outsmart him, no one. I also find it encouraging. We're going to take a little side tour here that Jesus prepared us for this, this whole time. Um, if I may, I want to take us to Luke chapter 10, and it's, I think, worth your time. Um, pull it up if you can, um, which will connect uh, us from 8 and 9 to 10 and 11. So in chapter 10 of Luke, he, he appoints uh, these apostles. He sends them out ahead of his ministry, and he, he sends them out two by two. And uh, he, he gives them authority over demons. And he gives them the authority to heal. And he says, proclaim this message. The kingdom of God has come near to you. And um, if they're received, they say, you know, peace unto your house. If they're rejected, they shake the dust off. And then uh, uh, Jesus goes into lamenting. He says, woe to this town, woe to that town. And he's lamenting because he already knows these certain towns are going to reject his people and then reject his message. Which just sounds a lot like the eagle we heard about. Uh, verse 17, Then the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Verse 18, He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. You are sealed. So number one, uh, 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 Satan falling from heaven sounds like the fifth trumpet. Uh, number two, the authority over snakes and scorpions, the stinging demons of five and six trumpets, the eagle woes, and Jesus also laments. Um, John was there for this training session, and maybe it made a lot more sense now that he has revelation. And he's like, oh, that's why Jesus sent me to that town. I get it now. All this happened before Jesus died, rose again, and uh, gave us revelation. He truly is the Lord of history. And that's who your God is. My point is this, that as scary as five and six are, um, Jesus prepared us in his word. He's training us now for our present day ministry. Because people, if you know Christ and sealed, you don't just go, ah, I'm good. Nice. I can chill. Netflix and chill. No, there's all these other people out there that need to know Christ. That ministry is sweet, bitter, and John experienced this. Now moving to chapter 10. Uh, there's this strong angle, angel, and we've zoomed way out. 
The angel plants his feet, one on the land, one on the sea. This is clear domination over the earth. And then he brings out this tiny scroll. (laughs) That's God for you. Um, uh, And if you remember in um, chapter 6, 9 to 11, the saints are coming out of the persecution, saying, how long, Lord? How long will you let this go on? And there, he said, a little bit longer, meaning that God had a purpose, God was purposefully in charge and not overwhelmed by what was happening. But now in uh, 10 verse 6, the angel says, there will be no more delay. So things are speeding up as John is recommissioned um, with this message for the earth. John eats the scroll, which is God's word. Other places in the Bible, it describes God's word as honey and sweet. Um, God's promises are really wonderful. In the Old Testament, um, in Ezekiel, uh, he also receives a scroll, eats it, and it tastes sweet, but then it turns his stomach sour. And he says, um, to to Ezekiel, he says, "Um, I'm going to give you this message, but these people are not willing to listen to you because they're not willing to listen to me, for they are hardened and stubborn. So isn't that interesting that God would send people that are already hard, that won't accept his message, but still send a messenger. Wow. Well, that's a lot of our ministry, and it's a bitter one. Not because we're angry towards these people, but it is so sad. It is so bitter to know what's coming for someone that doesn't want God. If you want God, he brought life. If you don't want him, how can you have life? So to John, whether this is the gospel of Revelation, and if you're caught up and have your battle axe, it's, it's, it's the, the gospel message. And what's sweet is God's done everything he can to bring you to himself. And what is bitter is what is left for you if you reject him. We live in a time of grace. This is called the age of grace right now. Because it's, it's this time when we have Christ available to us. And God is patient. But we're also moving into this time where it's like, time's up. And these people, what we see, as God is illustrating to us, they're deliberately closing their ears. They don't want to hear it. And that's what the gospel message ultimately does. And because of the gospel message, Christians will be persecuted. It's, it's bitter because of how people will reject this message. It's bitter because it brings judgment. If you re- reject Jesus, what's, what's left for you? You know, uh, I actually had this like 24-hour 20 hour flu right before I came here. Um, last night, I had to puke in a toilet, and I was like, oh, this is awful. And every time you do that, it's like always the worst thing again ever. You're like... This is just the worst. And it was this point where I like just had to get on the floor and just sort of moan. And it just helped. (laughs) But it still like really hurt. You know, it's like this, your stomach's just sour. Ah, the gospel message is this sweet, sweet message. And yet, ah, it's so painful that we deliver it through this world. Chapter 11 brings us to a vision of the temple. And John is asked to measure it, just as Ezekiel was. Uh, It's this Old Testament um, picture of a temple. So what better to understand God's holiness and majesty? What we need to know about this temple is it's persecuted, but it's protected. Um, When something's measured, it's assured. Yeah, count it. It's in the bank. Um, And this temple is talking about the church. So these are church people. Um, You can look at 1st, 2nd Peter uh, talks about we are like this. We are his temple, brick by brick, each one of us. And assembled together, we're this this dwelling presence for God. Uh, The inner temple, the inner courts, is where God's manifest presence was. And people, you you have access to that. Um, I encourage you to lean into that. Lean into what the church has to offer uh, together as we worship corporately, as we look at the word corporately. 
So this, this message of uh, that measured temple is, again, like the seal. It's, there is nothing that can tear you from communion with God. But the outer temple, the outer courts, were not measured. And it just says, don't measure them because they will be trampled. And that was um, that the world is going to reject us and trample on us. But that's the ministry. That's what Jesus did. That's what we're called to do. But at the same time, we're protected and safe. So in this passage, we also see the two witnesses, the two olive trees, the two lampstands, and they will share this sweet, bitter message with the world. Who are the two? What are the two lampstands? Well, we saw the two, uh, the seven lampstands in chapters uh, one to three, and that was the church as a whole, seven. Um, it's this complete message, whole grain meal, right? It's all of it. Um, but now we just have two. Um, why two? Well, you've heard the phrase, it takes two to tango. Um, well, it takes two to witness. Um, this was Old Testament language again, and also common at that time, um, where to have a, uh, a testimony that holds up in court, you need two witnesses to be present. So Jesus sends us out two by two. That sounds familiar. But now we have the church. The church is the two lampstands that hold uh, the Holy Spirit. And they're the ones that testify. And testify. Give your testimony. That's, um, if you're new to the church, you can just ask, hey, what's your testimony? People will tell you the story of how I came to know and believe God is real. And how he's in my life. How he worked with me this week. How I see him in the glimpses of this strange but normal upside down world that we live in. I get these winks of God's presence in my life. Well, that's also legal language here as well. And the world, um, summing up this, this chapter, is the world will try to destroy the church. Try its best to extinguish it in any way, shape, or form. Whether that's wolves will come into uh, the church and misrepresent her, um, say stupid things about her, or say them stupidly, and then other people go, ah, oh, the church is just foolish. Um, or it could be uh, actual people like, I am targeting the church. <laughs> I want to extinguish it. I hate them. Um, whatever happens, it's when the world thinks that they've extinguished the church, then the end will come, and we will be brought back into the throne room of God for that seventh trumpet to bring us to the end, which leads us to this great reunion and wonderful worship. I encourage you to read that on your own. So for, for those of us who are part of the witnessing church, I think it's encouraging to know it's the church, not just you and me, but there's also an individual responsibility as well. And each of us is important, which I wouldn't be part of anything that wasn't, both individually but also corporately uh, important. But we, as the church, bear the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is indestructible. He makes things holy. He protects us. And it may seem daunting to share your gospel message. It can seem crushing to be rejected as a Christian. But I want to encourage you that if you have the Holy Spirit, he will help you share the gospel this week. And I want to encourage you to pray for it. Pray for, pray for your coworkers, your friends, your family. Pray for opportunities unexpected moments. If they don't have Christ, their hope is in a dying world. And that's what Revelation is showing us. And Revelation is calling us to faith and repentance. I want to end with um, reading a familiar verse to you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one, one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God, God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, 
But people loved darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who comes, uh, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that they may be seen plainly that what they have done has, uh, has been done in the sight of God. Christians are no different than non-Christians. It's that we've, we've turned to Christ. Christ is our righteousness. He is the light. And he wants to bring you into the light today. If you're new to the faith or, or you're just checking out church this first time, ask, ask the Christians, what's your testimony? Ask them what it means to be righteous and holy. What it means is that Christ has paid it all and he's inviting us into a new life. And it's not because he doesn't see what we've done or what we are or our rebellious wayward ways, but each of us needs to come to know our dependence on God. And, and Jesus is the one that sees it all and says, I see it. And I take that on myself. Now come to me, my son, my daughter. That's the gospel message. Um, I'm, I'm going to pray for us. And I'm going to pray for uh, those of us who, maybe this, this is something that you need to pray. So um, I'm going to help us along with just a short prayer. If you want to invite Jesus Christ into your life. And then I'm going to pray that uh, for, the, for, the, for the rest of us, that our faith would grow and that we would come to repentance. Let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we can come together. Um, Holy Spirit, would you make alive these things that, um, that might sound new to us, but uh, Lord, you say that you're the Lord over history, and you know my story. Um, today's message woke me up to my great need for you. I don't want this to be the end of my story. Jesus, I open up the door to my heart and let you in. I bend my knee to you as my Lord and Savior. I realize that both the good and the bad things that happen are calling me to you, calling me to see things as they are. Would you please give me the faith to believe and follow you. And Lord, I, I pray for the church. Pray that we would become a witness. Would you intensify our witness? Would you make us holy? Father, uh, we, we're going through revelation and it's a lot, but would you call us to faith? Would you stir in us a love for you? Uh, Father, I have idols in my life that I want to let go of. Would you please convict me of them? I want to lay them down today. They're trash. I don't need them. I need you. Forgive me. I love you very much. Amen.